All righty, let's do it. Pa. Welcome to our first interviewee, eh, the man I am lucky enough to call my father, Federico Rafael Pineda. Pa, welcome to Boteco Talks. Thank you. Thank you, Fede. Good to be here and this be a is, part of this amazing project. Love it. Thanks for the support. I think this is the first non-sober Boteco Talk. So how many how many drinks in are you? Just for, for sanity check here. Enough to be eloquent and, and at the same time rational. <laughs> All right. Well, what are you having? What are you having to drink? So so everybody Actually, knows. Actually, well, well, because of course in Venezuela the rum is world class. So I'm having some Cuba Libres Ooh. with Venezuelan rum, which is delicious and and uh, amazing, amazing drink. That's lovely. Well, I'm having having a whiskey, a nice mm -hmm. Macallan 12 on the rocks. I've taught I've taught you well. You have indeed. You have indeed. But anyways, that let's let's get to it because I think we're in for a very interesting conversation, a very mm -hmm. interesting episode. Because mm -hmm. well, for one, I think it's going to be a very honest conversation. And then mm -hmm. for context for our audience, and and I told you this the other day of why why we're doing this. I think. We've gone into, we've spent some time looking to understand our risk profile and kind of the psychology of money, our own psychologies, mm -hmm. our own biases when it comes to investing and taking on risk on our personal and then financial lives. And I think it's, there's a lot to do with kind of our upbringing and how that impacted us, Mirela, myself. I also finished the Elon Musk book recently. And the first third mm -hmm. of the book was basically about his upbringing and, and his kind of tumultuous relationship with his father, which mm -hmm. while obviously wasn't our case, I think it does goes to show how, how the upbringing can really, can really impact you and, and, mm -hmm. and kind of how you approach a lot of the things in life. It, I agree. It's a critical relationship. So what do you say we go into the boteco, pa? Let's go for it. Bora. Dad, before we get into some of the heavier questions, I did want the audience to get to know you a bit better. So mm -hmm. I want to have a series of rapid fire questions. And then I'm going to say a story that I find hilarious because every boteco needs a funny story. And I'll give one of my own that I think exemplifies our relationship a bit. But first, let's start off with some questions. All right. So. Question number one, what is your go-to bar order? Scotch on the rocks. Love no it. No doubt. 3 a.m., you arrive at a bar. It's about to close. What song do you ask the DJ to play? John Mayer. Any Why Georgia? Why Georgia? Okay. Yeah. What is a guilty pleasure of yours? Chocolate ice cream. A hoggy, a good hoggy. Indeed. What is your favorite book or podcast? Victor Frankl, Mansford for Meaning would be a book, an impactful book. And in podcast, I like the acquired people. I like how they're addressing, you know, wealth and, and just businesses in general. Nice. All right. What is a discretionary expense that is non-negotiable? And would be the last thing you would cut from your budget if you had to? Well, I think the insurance 
premiums definitely are non-negotiable. Okay. All right. And what has been your best investment? I know, I know, I know, I know that's not in a light kind of intro, uh, let's say mode, but I would have to see def absolutely be the, the last item on the budget that, that you could remove. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, what is your best investment? Family. I love that. And real estate. Real estate second. <laughs> okay, good. Hopefully, I wonder if it's a, if it's a distant <laughs> second or a close second, but I love the honesty. If I would have to tell a story about my dad, in terms of my dad's support throughout my entire life, there's this one story that I just crack up, which is I used to play baseball when I was growing up, but I was also very competitive and I didn't want to play baseball in the neighborhood where I was from. So I would go play baseball in, in kind of more really yes, just less, less advantage, less advantage places. So that's the, that's mm -hmm. the word. And we made it so that <laughs> I was able to play, even though I wasn't from that area, we made it. So I was able to play there. And then mm -hmm. when I got there, I, I realized that I went to different schools than most of the kids there. I didn't tell anybody I went to the American school. Like it was, it was I was very much wanted to be incognito throughout my experience there. And mm -hmm. at the beginning, I got away with it marvelously. Nobody knew really who, who I was or where I came from. And mm -hmm. then it was the first game of the season, right? So we had training camp. It was the first game of the season. And you obviously want to go, right? Meanwhile, I was very nervous because my dad, he's not the shy one. My, so I will say my, my dad is very discreet. And I think that's why this podcast is probably very, this is, we're both kind of nervous with this podcast, but he's definitely not the shy one. So I was like, all right, dad, you can go to the game, but the only condition is please don't speak to me in English. For some reason, my dad would speak to me in English at like sport events and like in public. And it would just embarrass me. Because I didn't want people to think I'm like this American kid. Um, and we're all from Venezuela. So there's really no reason why you would speak to me in English in public. So, But we'll do, <laughs> we'll do nationals, though. We'll do nationals. So my grandmother, my grandmother's my American and, and my uncle TJ, he, I mean, he served in the Air Force. Yeah. So, so, I mean, we're proud of that side of the, of the family for sure. Uh, but we're born and raised in Venezuela, right? So the only thing I asked my dad was don't speak to me in English because... I didn't want, like, I, I, I didn't want that to be a known fact. So I step up to the plate um, in the first or second inning, right? I'm already nervous as it is. There's a, quite a lot of people at the game, like all the parents and whatnot. And then <laughs> I just hear from the stands, my dad screaming, come on, son, you got this. And then everybody just looked at you and I was like, who is this gringo? And like in a slum in Maracaibo, like he clearly is not from here. And I was like, fuck, the only thing I asked. And I think I, I stopped telling you about the games for like a bit after that because I was so embarrassed. But that, I guess you just were never shy in your support. But I always, I, I, I laughed at that story. And True do you story. remember that? True story. True story. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, I think people are trying to figure out what you were doing there kind of because <laughs> you, the stereotypes weren't there. But uh, I, could, I couldn't contain myself. All right. So first question, then. What, how would you describe your risk tolerance? 
both in terms of invest, investments and like non-finance ways of life, call it? Well, I would say it, 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 it's determined by the stage in your life initially. For example, in your 20s or 30s, you have a different risk profile than in the 40s and 50s. And uh, when you're 60, of course, it changes even more. So I would say it depends on what stage of life you're at and where your investment or where you're working, what country you're living in, and what kind of molds that profile. Uh, just to go back a little bit to your childhood, because um, I know in, in your 20s, there was a big life event that happened. Uh, you were, well, I don't, I'm not sure if this is considered your childhood, but I mean, it, you were already an adult. But when I, when I mm -hmm. think through kind of the big event, your big life events that probably changed you a lot, this was definitely mm -hmm. top, top one in terms of having the biggest impact. When you were 26, uh, your dad died. I never met him. My grandfather, Luis Guillermo. You were, you were recently mm -hmm. married. I think you had Luis Guillermo a couple of years after. No, no the year after, actually. Okay. So the year, the year after, after Abuelo Luis died, um, that, mm -hmm. was, that was a moment that obviously critical, had a critical loss. Critical how, loss. Would you, how would you describe that moment? And how do you think that changed your kind of tolerance for risk? So when my dad died when I was 26, um, everything changed. Of course, it was a huge loss. I was the second sibling out of six. So it really transformed my, my life from that point on. Recently married with a young child. So the sense of responsibility and the responsibilities that were that I had to take on were huge at that moment because we had various family businesses that we, it's a group of businesses. And I had to step in at a young age to represent our family group in these businesses. So it was a huge responsibility taking on not only personal, but um, partnership wise. And that shaped a lot of things in my life and changed the way I approached investing and developing businesses. Do you think that, do you think there was a lot of, you always joke around how you were the royal baby. Do you think that added pre do you think that added pressure for you to meet expectations? Um, well, I, I think it's it's just how you assume adversity or how you take on difficult situations, how how you decide to look at look at these ish situations that sometimes unexpectedly will will come up, which is something in fact that life is full of unexpected change. Um, it's not, you know, I lost my dad when I was 26, but there are many changes in life that are unexpected and that can happen anytime at a moment. And it's how you choose to address the adversity, what, what shapes the outcomes of, of your life and the people that are around you and your family. So I decided to take on the loss of my father and fulfill what I thought was my his expectations of what I had to do to deal with the loss and honor his memory, which I, I've done for the past 37, 30 something years. Interesting. I think that's so, that's so interesting. And, and do you think those expectations that he had of you and that which he asked of you, how, how do you think, how, how did you manage with that pressure? I think one thing it's, it's, it's very interesting because I never thought I had pressure to meet your expectations. But somehow, I always knew you were so proud of me 
that I felt that I kind of self-imposed that pressure and wanting to always overachieve and excel is has something to do with a, some fear of mine to not disappoint you in a way. So I'm wondering how was that that's a good for point. you? That, no, that's a good point. Um, I felt that I had this responsibility to step up to the challenges that were, you know, extreme at that moment in my life and step up and, and kind of give, give the best that I could give to under the circumstances to overcome the situations that were presented at that time. I had people around me that were mentors that really helped. I think that was a key. Also, that was a key, um, pivot that I, that I used is seek out the people nearest to you that you confide in and can, and can be assets to you to address uncertainty and these unexpected developments. So I had actually two or three mentors that were critical in shaping how I kind of addressed and dealt with the, the circumstances that were unexpectedly, because my dad died from a sudden heart attack at 54. So that was a very difficult thing. Oh, just the, the whole, let's say, tragedy of, you know, losing your life that young. So that was not only that part, but also being a father to my younger siblings in a way um, also was part of the whole equation. It, yeah. was, it, was, it was a huge situation to manage. I can imagine. I can imagine that. No, I mean, I know. But, 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 to, but just, just to answer your talk, your, your mention of expectations. Yes, I think expectations have, were part of the drivers in all of this. But I also think that I knew somehow instinctively, I knew that I had to navigate it with dignity, with perseverance with loyalty and that's what i did i think so too i think so too i think it, it, it was definitely tough cards nobody was really prepared it, it was mm -hmm. very sudden but i do think you always acted with the best intentions and and put your values first and that always yielded exactly the best possible outcomes but but to answer, to answer your question to answer your question, though, about the risk tolerance, which I think is the initial, I think when you have these unexpected events, you know, you'll say, okay, you know, you're in the 20s and 30s, you want the growth, you're, you're more, you're, you're more inclined to risk than not. But uh, when these unexpected things happen, you tend to have a more conservative approach to investing. That's kind of my answer. Now, that switching gears a bit, I want to talk about kind of the situation kind of stepping into the situation in Venezuela, just for context for our listeners, not sure how familiar everybody is with the situation in Venezuela, but I see after, I would say towards the 90s and definitely into the 2000s, it, things got a lot more complicated in, in mm -hmm. Venezuela and, and doing business was a lot more challenging and really mm -hmm. forced you to kind of balance your risk in, in ways you probably didn't expect it to. Can you just walk us mm -hmm. through kind of how what how it was going through kind of the darkest days of kind of that downturn of the country 
sticking through it, how that kind of changed your psyche? Well, um, again, like we mentioned, you know, Latin American countries have these cycles that are extreme. And Venezuela, unfortunately, has been hit with a, you know, huge political and, and uh, economic downturn. And that uh, has been, obviously, for family businesses, of course, in a third generation, has been hit hard. Of course, you, you grow a lot because adversity, again, uh, you deal with adversity, you deal with the challenges of a dysfunctional economy, uh, and you try to, as much as you can, your brands, your, your products, try to sustain them as much as you can in spite of the, of all the difficulties. So it's hard to, there's not a playbook in, in HBS, in Harvard or any other business school that can address how you deal with high inflation, uh, you know, just this huge macro and microeconomic dysfunction. And, uh, so you, you learn as you go, as you go along. And, uh, somehow you come out, you come out because you, you become more resourceful. You know how to adjust. You know, the, the rules of the game are changing constantly. Of course, people from first world countries or European countries, could not understand this, but I'm sure if our listeners are, or in other Latin American countries, they'll understand that you sometimes have to adjust and have these, the criteria as, as far as planning or, or not, um, you have to consider the variables that are sometimes so uncertain that there's no way of planning ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that concept of iteration and it's almost extreme iteration because you're forced into situations that are so out of control and unlike anything you would see in the textbooks. When you, when you face these difficulties, this adversity, what has been the best medicine to stay optimist? Because you are, you are the, probably the most optimistic person that I know. I'm a half, I'm a glass half full guy forever. And I would say. In, in fact, even in the darker times, there's been some light. So if anything, we could probably give, you know, some insight into, you know, when you have a perfect storm of, of difficulties and political and, and economic, um, let's say, a downturn, how to handle it. We, that's something that we could probably give some insight into. In fact, I, I sometimes warn my other Latin American friends that, you know, what would come after what initially starts as certain political decisions and maneuvers or something happens in the economy, kind of what to expect after. Yeah. What role do you think your wife has played through all this? Amazing. Just, you know, my, my, my wife, Nora, who's a wonderful companion, has, gives a lot of it. She's also in, in the healthcare sector which has seen its ups and downs and is this wonderful insight uh, about, you know, how to deal with certain situations. Just a great, a great advisor and, and friend. Love it. Love it. Now, uh, get, getting like looking to wrap this up a bit in terms of what investment decisions you've prioritized because of these situations, what, what's one or two things you would kind of give as advice? I mean, are you talking about what, what, in what, let's say, in, in what stage of life? Because I understand the Boteco Talks audience, probably younger, younger. 20s and 30s or. Yeah, yeah, it's younger. 
But yeah, yeah, for you, for example, you mentioned insurance, for example. Is that something yes. you're pretty big on? Uh, huge. I just think that unexpected things happen constantly and change is the only sure thing in life. So if you want to safe protect yourself, uh, I think insurance, life insurance, health insurance, having ample coverage, I would find it to be a critical part of your strategy as far as you know the, your structure your financial structure yeah i agree now you, and you mentioned something that i think is very true is you don't have to lose your dad at a young age to develop a culture of insurance you you've said that before to me and i think that that's very that's very true i i would say at least for people my age that is make up most of our viewership when I think about insurance, I one, you probably don't have the cash flow, or in my case, I don't have a family of my own that would mer maybe merit life insurance or whatnot. I mean, if if I were to if I were to die, I <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't have anybody under my responsibility, so it's less of an issue. Mm -hmm. um, so that may makes it less of a need, but I do think the best insurance is proper diversification, and we've mentioned a lot that a lot on a lot of episodes, make sure mm -hmm. you're properly diversified so that you can weather different types of storms and different types of situations. I think it kind of goes to all the points that you've made, you've made in the past. And in terms of relationships and, and prioritizing, I don't know, your time, how have these situations kind of, what advice would you give there based on what you've mentioned so far? Well, I would, I would go back, as, as I mentioned, the, the first part of, the, of our podcast about family. I mean, investing in family is, there's, you know, you can't do enough of that. And, of course, when you're younger, you, you're going through life, you're maybe going to school, grad school, whatever, or you're starting a family, and you have your, your mind is on a lot of things. But somehow, I think, for me, the critical Investment is family and taking the time to be the best parent, the best father, the best sibling, the best husband possible is what I think is the most relevant thing in life, basically. I agree. It, it has to be, of course, you have to make that choice to say, listen, make, and I think you're also very good at that, Fede, is that you take the time, you make the effort. For the people that mean most to you. And that is, for me, the essence of happiness. If that's, of course, what we're the, the, the ultimate goal, I would suppose, in investing and in everything is happiness. What you want more money or you want, you know, the, you, the outcome that you're expecting is a happy and purpose driven or fulfilled life. Agreed. Could we agree on that? I love that. I love that. So, now that so investing in family me. and the relationships that mean most to you, I would definitely say is the most critical part of life. I agree. Taking the time, not, you know, sending a text message on a birthday to the people that mean most. Grab the phone, call these people. When was the last time you called your mom to said told to tell her that you loved her? Do that now. I know oh. that that's cliche a bit, but 
It's true. I love it. I love it. Then no, that's, that's those are great takeaways, and I think that's a great way to just kind of bring it all together from everything that you said. I, I would summarize it in my three three key points. One being our risk profile evolves due to changing circumstances. Let's make sure we recognize that and mm-hmm. we adapt to it. Number two is we all have our story and it impacts us in a different way. I know the reason I wanted to have this is I don't think my upbringing, I think you, 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 had a, you dealt with a lot more adversity than I did, but we all have our story. We all have to kind of understand it, have the awareness to see how it impacts us and from there just build upon it. And then number three, I would say is, yeah, just ask yourselves, what are the things that impacted you? And maybe it's a conversation with somebody that you might want to have. And if you can't have it, look deep inside and, and see how, how that might've molded you and your decisions and your risk tolerance and see if it's something that you want to change and, and, and move from. So mm-hmm. I think it's, it's been a great conversation that, and I did want to end it a little bit differently. Usually we end it with, with key takeaways. But I, I, I want to be a bit more selfish on with, with this ending and, and then have just one final story. I want to do a, a dedication to you because I think I know this episode is probably not, hasn't been, we're both pretty nervous and, and it's been challenging, but it's been a lot of fun. I'll end it this way. And I apologize to the audience ahead of time for, for making it about, our, my, about my dad and I. I remember... I was about 10 years old and you called me and you asked me, I think it was right about the time that you and mom got divorced. You called me and you asked me if you were a good father. And, and I responded and I said, don't worry, dad, you're a good father. (laughs) 20 years later, I'll, I'll answer that question a little bit better. And in, but instead of stating the obvious, instead of stating the obvious, I'll tell you what, I, what I've learned from you so far. A couple things that I've learned from you because I couldn't state everything that I've learned from you. I think you've taught me the importance of respect, that you treat everybody the same way with courtesy and, and chivalry and doesn't matter who it is, you treat everybody the same way. I think you've taught me the importance of having integrity. You do act the same way even when nobody's watching. And the importance of being able to sleep at night because you act with, with integrity and good intentions. You've also taught me the importance of making the effort. I think you're one that always makes the effort for others. And it's not about talking the talk, but walking the walk as well. And it's showing those that you care about, that you care for them. And it's been evident throughout this episode how the memory of your father, my grandfather, Wade Luis, is important to you and is important to all of us. And it's weighed on us deeply, his, his absence, but his memory as well. And, and I'm sure that if, if you were listening to this podcast, he... He would say that you have been a great father, a great son, a great brother, a great friend to all those who know you. Or in his words, 
Eres un tipazo. I think that's what he would say. Thanks, Dad, for being part of Poteco Talks. Thank you, Fede. Congratulations to you and to Mire for these wonderful programs. I enjoyed them very much, and I'm sure they're impacting a lot of people. Let's hope so. The first of many interviews to come. Thanks, Dad. Saúdi. Thank Bye. you for those. Thank you. Thank you for those kind words, Bob. Love. Bye. Love you too. Poteco Talks. Poteco Talks.